So this is part two of my conversation with Joe Wells. Uh, If you haven't heard part one yet, stop this shit and go down, listen to part one and then come back. All right, here's part two. People have this idea of what a stand-up comedian looks like, and you can kind of see that with a lot of the people that do do these courses. They come out sort of mimicking, mimicking what they think yeah. like a stand-up comedian would look like. I don't know, like a, a tight suit and whatever, and whatever else, or a casterish mannerisms. Have you ever seen uh, Peter Brush? No. He's really good. And what's brilliant about him is he, he doesn't, and he would say, I think he would say this too, he doesn't look like a comedian at all. <laughs> and it's so disarming because he's so good. The writing's so good. But there's when he walks out, there's like a moment of like, I don't think this guy can be a comedian. <laughs> you know, but, he's, and it's, but it, the fact that he doesn't look like a comedian makes this so much more impactful. Yeah. Because it just really catches people off guard and it's really exciting. Uh, yeah. Fair play. Well, I guess that's his niche, isn't it? That's his niche, isn't it? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been great. It's been brilliant, yeah. Speaking of gigs and stuff, uh, how did you find touring with Frankie Boyle? Uh, it wasn't tour, so I just did a... a, a, a most years I've done like a few days here. Ah, uh, okay. hasn't been on tour. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think he's a... Yeah, I think he's one of the, one of the best. Yeah. It's really fascinating. This is when you're work in progress, it's so yeah. fascinating to see someone who's kind of, you know, I'd say probably one of the best comics today, kind of work, you know, working stuff out and, and you yeah. know, and, and reacting to things and move that day on stage. And yeah, I think he's an yeah, incredible writer. How did just, you get? How did you get the gig? Uh, he just messaged me on, on Twitter, I think he heard, I think he heard me on a, on a podcast, um, so there's a lot of pressure on me. <laughs> um, but yeah, just sent messages that you're working on these days, yeah. So, oh, sweet. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's amazing how the power of the internet can get you to do those things. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. So, so what was I going to ask? So, what, how long did it take you? Because this is something that I'm quite... Because obviously I'm invested in comedy now. Mm. How long did it take you to move from the open mic circuit to club sets? I was probably quite lazy in the first few years. So I did a few like open mic gigs when I was at uni. So I maybe did like 20 gigs over those three years. Um, and then the year after I graduated, so then I did a year like, working in a tourist attraction and trying to gig more and uh, oh, that's, yeah, that's, so yeah my third year of uni I won like a student competition oh was it Toronto or was it no it was uh, it doesn't run anymore it's called Comedy Central's Funniest Student okay the prize was to do some pro gigs off the curve which I was dangerously unqualified for <laughs> uh, but uh, it was an experience of going out and doing you know doing paid gigs and then I tried yeah tried to take more seriously I got on a package show called the Lunchtime Club, which used to run in Edinburgh, which um, used to have a brilliant lineup. So in, the, in the three years it ran, it had Joel Domit, Rob Beckett, Tom Rosenthal, Susie Ruffle, John Kearns, Finn Taylor, uh, Joe Lysett was on it, Liam Williams. Like, this guy, like, this guy John Bright, who used to be my agent, picked 15 
newish comics when oh, they were gosh. basically open spots and about half of them are now household names. Yeah. yeah that's so that, that, yeah, so that helped me get an agent. And yeah. Yeah. I think, but I think it's a, it does feel like there's more, there's more of a barrier to becoming a pro comic now. I think it, I don't think it was, it was hard, it was easier for the generation before me and it's even harder for the generation now, I think. Yeah. There's, you know, there's, there's so many, like, so much of it, open mic gigs. There's a lot of pro gigs don't have an open spot on them. When I started, it was like, if you're doing open spots, you were doing the open spot on a pro bill. Yeah. And then if you did really well a couple of times, they'd bring you back to do 20. Yeah. And that doesn't seem to exist as much anymore, which I think is the real shame. Because that was the ladder, and, and um, uh, yeah, so I, I think it is like, it's must so much harder. Now. I, I think the way the open mic circuit is now is apparently much nicer than it was back, much nicer than it was back then. In the the promote a lot well, there's about four or five main promoters of the on the London open mic circuit right, right. now, and so what they're trying to do is build their own separate em- build their own separate empires in that they'll have the open mic stuff but also get pro comedians and do pro bit and do some pro bills occasionally uh, as okay. well. Oh then, then maybe I yeah maybe it's better than I I thought it was then. Um, well that doesn't mean we're breaking out of the open mic circuit. It's just like we get on those bills kind of if that makes sense. Yeah. It's yeah, it's difficult. Uh, yeah, I, I don't um it took me years to do it, and Edinburgh helped a lot. I think, yeah. I think that does help. Having an agent helps. Mm. So that, yeah, that's kind of kind of it, really. How did you go about getting an agent? That's another interest. Uh, so Johnny was my first agent, and he booked that package show. Yeah. So, so he had me, me, Susie Ruffle, Finn Taylor, John Combs, and Max Dickens. We did this package every day, and then the end of it, John asked if I wanted to him to represent me. So nice. a year with him, and then he packed it all in. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then I signed with uh, Glorious. I think where he was packing it in, yeah. a lot of people became aware that those acts were then out. So okay. we talked to a few people, and uh, at least it seemed like the best best person to go with. Yeah. So you were so you were basically. Uh, Fresh for the picking, but well, right for the right for the picking. That's what I was trying to say. Right for the picking. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was quite a um, yeah. It made it easy to move on to because they knew that I was. I was um, yeah. yeah. Sweet. So, what do you think would be your best and your worst gig? Um. You don't have to mention names, obviously. No, I'm. Uh, so I've, I've done a few like lovely big benefits. Um, to one for um, the Everyday Sexism project. Yeah. And that was really nice. So I think full 1100 classic theatre. Nice. Um, the things that I thought I really enjoyed. Um, I love, I would just about the Top Secret. I love Top Secret. Yeah. Really I think it's such a nice club. Um, have you played Top Secret? I've not played Top Secret because every. It's one of those things where everyone in the open mic circuit wants to play Top yeah, Secret. Yeah, So I've emailed Dom once or twice and they haven't had any spots, but I've been to watch shows there and it is phenomenal. 
Wow. I went to search for Oh, um, where do you where do you put the upstairs or the downstairs? Uh, so usually they do both. So yeah. I do upstairs and run downstairs. Yeah. yeah. I find that really that's that must be. I mean, that's that's really cool they do that, but that must be a bit stressful. Okay. So yeah, but I yeah. The, they're both really nice. The yeah. downstairs room in particular. Yeah. It's so nice that it feels like it could be hard to not have a nice gig there. So yeah. usually I do the top one first and then the second one. They're both nice, but the, yeah. same, the second one just so it's so yeah. so up for the start. So it's um, you know, it feels like that. I thought yeah, I have to you're going downstairs you're actually going downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. So it is. I just love the way the top, the top area is like set out. Like it is. The top room's got that kind of like it reminds me of. Uh, I know you can't see the full room, but you know that Richard Pryor uh, yeah. film of him it's called Live and Smoking. Live and Smoking. Yeah, that's it. That's how I imagine the rest of that comedy club looks like. I mean, it's. It's big, but it's really compact at the same time. Yeah, and they're conceptual, but they're really, yeah, it's a perfect, both of them are perfect comedy rooms. Yeah. Uh, I think, and you know, there aren't many of those, those around. Oh God, no. Right. Bracknell Comedy Cellars, now one's really nice. Well, where's that? Bracknell Comedy Cellar. Where's that? Oh, well, Bracknell, obviously. Yeah, it's near, kind of, if you went from London to Reading, it'll be about halfway yeah. there. Oh, really? Um, it's got like a, yeah, it's just a very good comedy room. You know, got cellar bar. Do they do open spots? That's the question. That's a good question. I don't know if they do. Like not actually, yeah. Ah. But um, but yeah, when you when you're doing this, hey, something I get. It's um, it's a really lovely, really yeah, really lovely. Room. That's what I'm trying to do like now-ish. While I'm thinking of okay, how. So well, actually you know, right next, I'm thinking round about maybe next year start probably looking into the pay, start probably looking into the pay stuff. Cause I'm gonna be doing second my second Edinburgh this year. Um, so so uh, mixed bill or I don't, what, mi- what? mixed bill? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> yeah, definitely mixed bill. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've applied for that, and then next year see where that see where that see where that can take. Yeah. What? Yeah, I wish I had better advice for getting into pay stuff. I, I think I. It does seem like it is more difficult. It, it seems to me like very luck of the draw at this point. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Um, for so many comics, it's so hard to stand now. And uh, yeah, I think I think this it, it's, it's very you know it's very expensive and very difficult, yeah. and, and you can go and do. And sometimes you see people get kind of frustrated that they will do, you know, an open spot at, I don't know, the comedy store, they yeah. go for, for a longer step, but it's like, there's loads of people that do really well, yeah. you know, it's very hard to, it's not even like you can do a gig and really smash it, but then loads of other people have really smashed it. Comedian yeah. Brian is such a nice guy, I spent ages doing open spots there because it's, yeah. And, uh, and but it's such a nice gig that everyone smashes it. So, yeah. You know, it, it's easy to feel. Oh, it's easy to feel. Yeah. I smashed it. But that's why everyone does it's a brilliant drum. So. Ah, well, I've heard about. I've definitely heard about comedian in Brighton, and I'm going to try and get on one of their spots. I was, yeah, I was speaking about. I was speaking about them to comment last night. Actually, just funny, just funny enough. Uh, so, mash. Yes. <laughs> so. 
This is something that you grew up watching. This is something that you grew up watching, right? Yeah, it would be on Paramount TV in the morning. Paramount TV! Yeah. Oh my gosh! That's, just, that's taking me back. That's when Sky, well, that was before, that was before Sky, well, the Sky Digital days, wasn't it? Yeah, it would have been on Sky, yeah. Sky Digital, yeah. So, what is it about that show that makes it so memorable for you? I think it's... It was a weird insight into my, my, into my dad really liked it. Um, and it's, it's just not, it's like, I suppose it's like we were saying earlier, that it's not like anything else. Like, cause it's, yeah. it's uh, so have you seen much of it? I've seen a bit of it, yeah. So it's, it's obviously a sitcom and, you know, with jokes, but then it's also got these really kind of hard-hitting anti-war yeah. stuff in it. And it feels really radical in that it's, because it came out during the Vietnam War. Yeah. And it is really overtly anti-war and anti-like authority and, and the way that Hawkeye is, um, you know, has no respect for authority and no respect no. for war. Um, yeah. And he's almost, he's like a kind of, um, he's like an American war hero. He's yeah. like a kind of an opposite of, of that, you know. He doesn't, he won't shoot a gun, he won't, uh, you know, he wants to care and look after people, but at the same time he, he's, um, you know, he's the hero of it. And, uh, it's very sad. I think, like, like I think, um, a lot of co- comedy is this kind of, you know, comedy is meant to be subversive, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. very, it's very much just put the people, yeah, you know, it's about war, but it's, it's putting the, the, the doctors as the, the hero, and the kind of the people who won't, someone who won't fight as the hero. Yeah. And, um, and the one that doesn't care about status is, is the highest status character. And, uh, you know, I found that, yeah, great. Well, that's quite, and that's also, that's quite rare, that's quite rare for some of sitcoms in general because it's usually the ones with the highest status the one we're meant to, the one we're meant to root, it's the one we're meant to root for. Is that true or do we sometimes root for the kind of low status loser? Kind of think of... Well... To use... To say... to use, um, I can't believe I'm doing this, Leonard from the Big Bang Theory as, right. as, an, as an example. He comes across as someone who's relatively nebbish and quite low status. However, we, he is the most, in a way, he is the most highest status of that in that show, well, out of that group of friends. Yeah. And we root for him because we want him to get with Penny. And also, we root for him because we want him to help mold Sheldon into a human, into an actual human being. Yeah, but he's still like very much a beta, though, isn't he? But yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But so, so, yeah, certainly, all guys are, you know, yeah. is not. Um, you know, I think, I think they're the kind of there's interesting stuff written about. You know, it's, it, there's parts of national draw of their time, and the gender politics of it, in some ways, are of their time. <laughs> But also, I think that, like, Hawkeye as a kind of masculine figure is actually really progressive, and he's, you know, he's very masculine and very, very straight, Um, but he... is very compassionate and cares about the vulnerable and doesn't care about rank or status and you know and, and cares about the underdog. I read a Reddit thing of all the times he saluted. It's like five times he saluted someone, two of the times is radar, he's the kind of um, 
quite a kind of low status figure. Yeah. They salute the, the, the kind of the lowest status person, but won't salute the kind of the high-ranking uh, high generals that come yeah. in. And um, you know, I think that's that's a really in, interesting. I I've always kind of, um, so kind of growing up in a teenager, I've really gravitated towards kind of um, uh, kind of men in pop culture who were masculine in a way that wasn't the version of masculinity which was being presented as the only option to me kind of by, by the media surroundings. Yeah. So I, I love Marilyn Manson. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and um, I was really into Rocky Horror shows. And, you know, stuff is kind of like... Um, uh, and, yeah, and I, and I think you know, and, and, and all types like that. It's very, very masculine, but also very, um, you know, it has lots of not advertising masculine qualities. So, if you could remake it, hmm. if you had no choice but to remake yeah. it. Who would you cast and how would you do it? But I cast quite well, so quite a casting though, isn't it? I don't know if um if anyone that I would take out really. I think that yeah, it probably is a fair question. There's not many well rounded apart from um Margaret Houlihan. There's not many well rounded female characters in it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think the casting works so well, you know. I think that uh, um the, you know, Frank, uh, who's the kind of um, the one who cares a lot about status and about, and about yeah. you know, um, so he kind of is um, pushes back against uh, Hawkeye a lot. Um, you know, he's very well cast of being this kind of a lot of sitcoms are about status, aren't they? He's very much someone like status is important to him, and the fact that status is important to him is presented as a very um, very pathetic thing. He's a very lowly, pathetic character, you know, who cries all the time, you know, and can't control his emotions and things. But he also is, is one who really cares about, you know, kind of masculine status. Yeah, I agree. So, and something a bit pressure time, but like, yeah, this has been. Really no, no, fine, fine. I've, I've got to be there. Yeah, kind of half six ish. So oh, six. Okay, sick. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it had to be six. Oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. All right. So, if you had to. Sorry, what was I going to say? Right. So, would you say that MASH is sort of the American answer to Dad's Army? Um. No, I think they're quite, I think they're quite different. I haven't seen enough Dad's Army to probably answer that question. Okay. But what's your view on it? What would you? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say no, um, because despite the fact that they're both about war, they're both about war. Um, I just think there's too many. I think there's. The characters are the characters are very are very are too are too dissimilar for them to be completely. I think Mash is, is like an anti-war. Yeah. Um, sitcom, you know, it's it's like um, yeah, I think it has a clear like pacifist agenda. Whereas right. I don't think Dad's Army necessarily. No, Dad's Army was just like this is the war. We're in a we're in the war right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I think I think Mash is very clear. You know, when it kind of hits hard, yeah, you know, it's very clear what it's saying is, is you know, 
I so I was rewatching. So I've been rewatching a few because I. So I watched. I should say I watched all of. I watched a lot as a teenager, and I haven't seen it yet. I watched a few, and there's a line. I'm trying to remember where they, like a high-ranking sergeant's going around trying to fight people, and, and everyone's kind of getting up to no good, and he goes into. Um, this tent and there's like a nurse and a doctor and uh, kind of having a, a, an affair. Says, is anyone? Someone like, is anyone here? Is there anyone here that isn't mad? And she says only the same one. <laughs> and that's like such like a, that kind of ties out you, doesn't it? Where it's like you know all, all the kind of. Um, all the comedy in it yeah. is less they can't nothing can be as silly as the fact that the situation is that they are fixing that you know they're fixing men to go out and, yeah. and get injured again so they can come back and try and save them again and then they yeah. can go out again and then it's just, you know and the absurdity of that it like is underpinning all of it so you know no matter how stupid they're being or messing you know like nothing's as ridiculous as like that and I think that's the the kind of satirical message that's running through it yeah which which I think Bob William was very powerful about it hmm. so do you think in the form that it is actually well it was in back in the 70s do you reckon it could be put on TV today as a uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, they're obviously, you know, there is, particularly the earlier stuff, Yeah. you know, there are, uh, you know, language which wouldn't be used now. No. But I think that the, the, the kind of, the, the themes running through it. Of course, yeah. I, I think, you know, actually really, really progressive, but, yeah. you know, and I think it's, you know, it's a... Yeah, if you, you got you know, anything, you know, the, the race politics of anything, you know, more than five years old <laughs> are going to be um, problematic. Yeah. You know, and the gender politics of it as yeah. well. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it, it's, you know, it wouldn't be made in that way now. No. But I think that, you know, there's... The general idea of people going to war and... Doctors working and doctors working there and yeah yeah people coping with with that you know I think it's yeah to me that's you know any kind of cultural thing politically is kind of you know has some things which are which you might like and some things which you don't yeah so, you know it's got to weigh it up and I think that you know. Some people may say that you know I would say that from a position of privilege, but yeah. I, I think that, that on that, you know on balance the the kind of anti-war message in it uh, and the kind of message of compassion and uh, of, you know being on the side of, of the underdog, being on the side of uh, people who are because um, you know there's a um, Referred this kind of things where they you know you hear kind of racial slurs used in a way that's very obvious time, but also there's the there's a great scene where Hawkeye is talking to like a young soldier and he says I've got to go out and shoot more gooks and he says another word for gooks is people. So there's the, yeah there's also like a, a kind of anti-racist message. Yeah. With, you know, coming through it, um, but you know, it's like, you know, it was made I think that if, that if it was going to be put on TV today, um, 
I think they'd have to make it more of a dramedy in inverted commas. So a comedy and a drama, comedy and a drama, and a drama. Yeah. It's because it was quite kind of ahead of its time of being quite kind of like um, genre breaking, wasn't it? And, yeah. You know, um, things like, uh, I don't know, they're very different. Things like Inside Number Nine or Fleabag, they yeah. don't quite fit. They're not really sitcoms, they're kind of like. Uh, yeah, well, what do you call dramedies? Dramedies, I'd say something like. Uh, have you seen the show Dead to Me? It's on no. Netflix. Okay. Um, Dramedy, anything like where a comedy drama, yeah. Comedy drama, that's yeah. it. Uh, like, yeah, and I think that, yeah, cause there's stuff in it that's that's ha- like you know that will make you cry. Yeah. The, the, the final episode where he with the chicken, have you seen that? Where uh, no, I've not seen that. The uh, it's a bit of a spoiler if you, if you watch it, but but he the whole guy's in therapy because um he they were they were on like a coach and the, the kind of enemy soldiers were surrounding it and um, there's a woman with a chicken and the chicken's clucking and he like tells her to stop the chicken making a noise because they're gonna hear them and the woman kills the chicken and he's like in therapy because he made a woman kill a chicken yeah and the reveal is that he like that it wasn't a chicken it was a baby that he like the, he's like replaced in his mind with a chicken and it's such like a gut punch of a reveal um you know this that is harrowing like really horrible that so you know i mean it, that's not kind of regular thing to happen in a sitcom no day. it's not killing a baby <laughs> yeah and that, that's yeah it's incredibly powerful you know and, and uh and you know that his mind yeah so his mind's blocked out the, the, what actually yeah. happened yeah. well that is classic ptf that is well with everything with mental health we've been going on with mental health right now something like that tackles PTSD well tackles P- a scene like that would tackle PT- tackles like PTSD because that's obviously what he was yeah. experiencing yeah well I think that, that is it I might, might be wrong I, I have heard that false memories is a bit of a misnomer that doesn't happen as, as much as uh, I think it does I think well I don't know so I've, never, I've never been to war but um, but what I'm guessing will probably well, I'm guessing will probably happen is um they try to either block the memory out or replace it with something which is a little bit less harrowing than what happened. Does that make sense? Well, that, that's that's what happens in the show. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, so you know, there, there's stuff like that. You know, there's like some kind of like um, one episode where where Hawkeye's friend comes through and, and then and then he goes out again. He comes back and he tries to save him and, and he and he's kind of crying because he. All, he's seen people die every day, but he's never seen a friend, like a friend die. Yeah. Either. And like, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a really harrowing film. Yeah, also incredibly funny. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and I like the fact that shows like that can get the balance right, and it's all down to the writing. Isn't mm. it? The, I've heard that if you get the DVD, that there's an option to take off the, because the laugh pack's kind of weird, and then it kind of goes to the serious bits. And yeah. It's much better without the laugh track. Well, you can, well, you can remove it. You can yeah, watch it the DVDs, you can, you've got the option to have it or not have it. Okay. Uh, I think it works a lot better without it. Okay. Yeah, I think 
I think there's another thing. If they were going to bring it back, they'd have to do it minus the laughter. Minus the laughter. Yeah, that does date it a bit, doesn't it? I'm not saying that multi-cam sitcoms can't work in this day and age, but when it's something like that, when now you're dealing with such prevalent issues, I think the public will have a real issue if there's like if there's a cam laughter in the background. Yeah. And part of what makes those things interesting, like that was the thing where you know, was like, which was interesting about Lido when the, her sister's miscarrying, and you're not quite sure whether it's meant to be funny or whether it's horrible. And I think that's what is quite interesting is that it blurs that, and you're not sure. You know, it kind of the, the the comedy parts yeah. of it can, can catch you off guard when the serious parts of it. You're not sure. I still need to watch Fleabag actually as well. But like, yeah, I've heard. Didn't that start off as an Edinburgh as an Edinburgh show? Yeah, I must admit, I didn't. I don't think it was written for me, so I didn't quite rate it as much as everyone else did. But I still thought it was really. It's very yeah. hard to enjoy things when everyone's told you that they're genius. Yeah. <laughs> so, it is, yeah. So like bands and things where everyone said, this is the greatest band ever, but everyone listened to this, it's very hard to listen to it when mind. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I think I'm going to wait a little bit. But do you know what? The hype's, yeah, kind, of, the hype's, go, the hype's kind of died down a bit, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, I do, but London Hughes is in the show, isn't she? Yeah, I think she's like, a, yeah, she's not a big role. She? No, not a big role, but she is, yeah, yeah. she she is in it. Mm. And I really like her. I've not really seen much right, of, yeah. I've not seen much of Phoebe Waller-Bridge's stuff, but I watch it just because I like London Hughes and then the rest of it will, we'll see what yeah. happens. We'll see what happens. <laughs> well, like, Hugh Dennis is in it as well. Hugh Dennis is in yeah. it? Okay, right, I'm definitely watching it now. I loved Hugh. I've loved Hugh Dennis from the My Hero days. Mm. I love my. Has anyone picked My Hero? No one's picked My Hero yet. My Hero is really great. It was until James Draper took it over for a season, and then it kind yeah, of. Yeah, I'm seeing the later. Yeah, they were the later ones, weren't they? Yeah. But yeah, Ivor Hanlon is phenomenal. Mm. I thought it was really fun. And it's yeah. He's such an idiot, but I think the for me it was the side characters which made the show. Mm. Whether it be Janet or the receptionist. Who's the guy next door? The, the kind of conspiracy theorist. I know who you mean. I can't think. I can't. Um, Janet, Hugh Dennis, and Hugh Dennis's character, and and um, his and the and the receptionist. Mm. But, yeah, yeah, it was great. I should go back and go back and rewatch some of that. Right, Joe. I think that's it. yeah. Oh, Jesus, we're going to do that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, alright. Talking. No, it's alright. It's been really good fun. Uh, no, thank you for having me. It's, no, nice. it's, it's all good. Yeah. Um, so, what, where can people find you? Uh, I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter, Joe Wells Comic. On Instagram, Joe Wells Comedian. And got a website, joewells.org.uk. Oh, nice. Three to go to, yeah. And those are about dates, comedy dates. Uh, I'm on. When will this go out? Um, next week. Oh, okay, so I'm on tour, kind of through hey. February through to May. So nice. my show I did last year. Um, so yeah, it'd be great if people come see them in London, uh, Liverpool, Leicester, Brighton, uh, Abbott, uh, Salisbury. Yeah. So oh, nice one. Joe, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. Yeah. We'll do the obligatory handshake that no one can see. <laughs>